0: In our study in Paul's letter to Titus, we are analyzing his teaching concerning elders. In verse five, it says, "For this cause, left I thee in Crete, so that thou should set in order." the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. An elder is a wise, mature, and experienced man called by Jesus Christ himself to govern his own church. Elders receive the authority authority of Jesus Christ himself as he grants unto them the keys of the kingdom this authority however is limited and not absolute it is ministerial and not magisterial it is shared with other elders and does not reside solely in an individual Man, this elder, these governors are for the good of the church. Ephesians chapter 4 Jesus Christ gives gifts unto men for the perfecting of the saints, for their ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ so that we would not be children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, but established and come to maturity, even the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to continue with an overview of the eldership before going into the qualifications In verses 6 and following next week, I want to continue with an overview because I think it's important that we have a careful and precise study of biblical eldership. Ministers don't preach on Eldership or government every week because the teaching in the Bible is not in every page but in select passages. And therefore when we come to such, it is important to deeply study. And our overview continues this morning with three things. First of all, I want to conclude the authority of elders. Then we'll look at the work of elders. And finally, the calling of elders. First of all then, concluding the authority of the elders. And here, I want to highlight the distinct authority of the elders. The distinct authority of the elders. Remember the word here, ordain, means to set over a people, to put in charge. That means the elders have an authority. And an authority is the right to exercise lawful power. Now what are these elders in charge of? What is their authority? What right do they have to do? The answer is, it depends on what kind of elder we're talking about. It depends on what kind of elder we are talking about. Because this one word, elder, or presbyter in the Greek... The Bible teaches that there are three distinct kinds or classes of elders. The Bible teaches that there are presbyters who govern only. The Bible also teaches there are presbyters that govern and preach the word and administer the sacraments. And the Bible also teaches there are presbyters who teach and govern, distinct from public preaching. And so in the New Testament scripture, depending on the class of elder, they have distinct authorities or rights. Where do we see this in the Bible? 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. 1 Timothy 5:17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially They who labour in the word and doctrine. Now here we're speaking of elders or presbyters. And here it says all these presbyters rule. So they all have the calling to govern. But within this presbyter or elder, there are those set apart To labour in word and doctrine. Look at that word especially here. It means distinctly, exactly. And it's referring to a distinct kind or class of men within a certain group. For example, Galatians chapter 4 verse 10. Let us do good unto all men. But especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we're to do good unto all men. But within men, there are believers in Jesus Christ. So we are to do good unto all men. No exceptions. But there's an special class of men. Believers in Christ. And then we have. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. All the saints salute you you chiefly, especially they of Caesar's household. So, it's saying here that there are saints. And all the saints greet you and wish you well. But especially the believers in Caesar's household. So a special there means distinctly a class of men. And isn't that interesting? In the time of Paul, even the upper echelons of the Roman Empire, there are true believers in Jesus Christ. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they did. But God has his people, even in Caesar's household. But the point here is, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, that says, within the eldership... There are some who rule only and there are some who rule and preach the word of God. The second passage is Romans 12 verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And then it gives a selection. He that teacheth on teaching... He that exhorteth on exhortation, he that ruleth with diligence. So here, Paul is saying that in the church, there are differing gifts. And gifts here are not simply gifts, but gifts to perform certain duties. There are teachers who are distinct from exhorters, and distinct from them who rule. Often the word teach is used throughout the Bible. All Christians are to teach, teach and admonish one another. Ruling elders are to teach, preachers are to teach. But what does it mean that there is a particular calling where an individual is set apart and they are to teach in distinction to? exhorting and ruling. Well, in the Old Testament, there was one such calling, those who taught in the school of the prophets. You remember in the Old Testament that there were certain areas in Israel set apart to teach and instruct those called to prophesy in the things of God. And so a certain prophet his calling was to be set apart to teach those prophets how to prophesy. And in the New Testament, we have a certain individual, Gamaliel. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 34, Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, a teacher of the law. His calling was to be set apart. For in a certain school, to teach the law of God. And Paul says, I was a member of his school once. I was taught and trained by this teacher, this doctor, this professor, Gamaliel. Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul's giving his testimony. I was brought up in this city, that's Jerusalem, At the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. So here, this teacher is a distinct call to be set apart for the duty of instructing and teaching doctrine. This is what we call the doctor of the church, the teacher of the church. Think of it as a professor. In a seminary. Professors in seminaries are not pastors. I hear many seminary professors say, oh, we're just pastors. No, you're not. Because a pastor is someone who serves in a congregation of the flock of God. But a professor, what are they doing? They're doing this distinct gift duty call of doctor and teacher. But then the gifts continue. He that exhorteth. So the exhortation here is a distinct gift and call and duty from teaching and governing, exhorting. And in the New Testament, exhortation is specifically heralding the gospel, preaching the word. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading the word and exhortation. Exhortation. And Timothy is not a doctor of a school. He's a preacher. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy preached the word in season and out of season. And so here we have a distinct set apart calling gift for the ministry, the preaching, the word of God. But then the third gift comes in Romans chapter 12. He that ruleth. This is speaking of those who have the gift of governing and ruling and administrating authority in the church of Jesus Christ. (coughs) So let's put all the biblical information together. In the New Testament church, there is the presbyter, the elder. And in the presbyter or elder, there are three distinct callings, gifts, and duties. There is the one who is set apart to govern and rule only. That's what we call the ruling elder. Secondly, there is the presbyter who is set apart to govern and preach the word of God minister pastor and thirdly there is the presbyter who is set apart has the right of governing but specifically is called to teach and instruct in a school of theology and so here we have presbyter With distinct authorities. The governor has the authority only to govern and has no authority to preach the word, administer the sacraments, or teach in a school. Here we have the preacher or pastor or minister who does have the right and authority to govern equally with the governor, but he alone has the right to preach. The word of God. And then, thirdly, we have the doctor who may have the right to govern with the ruling elder, with the preacher, but his ministry is not pulpit ministry, but set apart to teach doctrine. Now, what language should we use? To describe this biblical teaching. You have to be careful and precise or you will end up in error. When I came to America, especially among men in Presbyterian churches. They like to ask a certain question. Are you two office or three office? And they're referring to the big debate in the 19th century, between James Thonwell of the Southern Presbyterian Church and Charles Hodge of the Northern Presbyterian Church. They would write against one another and they would argue against one another in the church courts. I don't mean argue in a bitterness sense, I mean in a, in a good spirited way. They had much respect for each other. But Thornwell and the Southern Presbyterians said there's only two offices in the church. And then Hodge says, no, there are three offices in the church. And so people today will often ask you, are you two office or three office? And my answer has always been this, neither. Neither. Now, why is that? One when they use the language of offices only, it does not do justice to the biblical information. And the second reason why is they're using language without definition and are ignoring historic settled language of the church. Because they are referring to deacons, and ruling elders and doctors and ministers as officers. And in one sense, that is legitimate. But in another sense, without precision, it causes problems. Thornwell believed there was only two offices: the office of deacon and the office of elder. And he said that ruling elders are presbyters and so are ministers but they're of the same office. And that led to a confusion between the ruling elder and the teaching elder. So that ruling elders started to encroach on the right to do things they were never called to. And so when the Inheritors of that position in the PCA and in the RPCNA, ruling elders want to do public teaching. Ruling elders want to lead in the public worship of God. Ruling elders want to give the benediction. Ruling elders, even at times, want to administer the sacraments. And so there's a confusion and collapsing now. And that's why often you get men in the pulpit who can't preach. Because there's no distinction of a man set apart for the preaching of the word of God distinct from the ruling eldership. But then the other side, Hodge. He does rightly distinguish between ruling elder and minister and that's good. But he says ruling elders are not presbyters. Only ministers are presbyters. And there's two problems with that. Problem one, why are ruling elders even necessary? On what biblical ground can we say it's necessary? The church is governed by ruling elders. You have no warrant. Because in every single passage it's presbyter. First Timothy chapter five, let the presbyter rule. Hebrews 13, presbyters rule. There's no reason for having ruling elders. Second is, even if you have ruling elders, it creates hierarchy. Hierarchy in the church. The elder is only a mere expedient representation of the congregations, but the ministers are the presbyters. Hierarchy in the church. So when people ask me, are you two or three office? I always say neither. Neither neither the best language is the historic presbyterian language of order and office order a distinct church rank or position office a distinct calling gift and duty which means in the church there are only two orders the order of the deacon and the order of the elder or presbyter. In the diaconate, there's only one calling, one gift, one set apart for the diaconate. But in the presbyter, there are three distinct offices in the one order. One order of presbyter, three distinct callings to be ruling elder, preacher or minister and doctor of the church now why is this important parity and distinction now there's no hierarchy because all three men ruling elder, doctor minister have equal authority in the church, no tyranny no hierarchy that's good that means you have men with different gifts serving with the same authority that can only benefit the church but it also keeps distinction that you're not merely functionally different but God almighty Jesus Christ the head of the church has called a man gifted a man set apart of the man to rule and govern only called a man gifted a man set apart a part of man to preach the gospel Gifted a man, called a man, and set a man to teach as a doctor in a school. And then you get balance. So, what authority does the elder have? It's a distinct authority. All presbyters equally govern and rule. The ruling elder rules only and does not preach and administer the sacraments. The preacher governs and preaches and ministers the sacraments, and the doctor of the church rules, but also is set apart to teach in a school. This helps us with our ruling elders. What do we expect them to do? Do we expect elders to preach the word? No. Do we expect elders to lead public worship services? No. Do we expect elders to administer uh, sacraments? No. And on the session, do we expect the minister to have authority more than the ruling elders? No. Do we expect ministers on presbytery and general assembly to have more authority than ruling elders? No. They share equally government. And that's the biblical beauty. The biblical proportion. The biblical balance of New Testament church government. Secondly now, the work of elders. What are elders to do? Now since we are looking for ruling elders, I want to omit any particular teaching for ministers or doctors. And I want to focus on the ruling elder. Elder. And the ruling elders' work is a particular kind of work. They're stewards, verse 7. They are God's stewards. A steward is a manager over a house or an estate. There's an owner and he has a, a house or a large estate. And he'll hire a manager to mm-hmm. administer and take care of that estate such is the elder. this is important. The elder is not the owner. he is not the leader. We have language of leadership in the church and in a sense it, it, that's right that that's right but in another sense it's wrong. There's only one leader and that's Jesus Christ. but the elder says i am going to serve my master jesus christ in the church this means the elder is a worker a worker 1 timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says in the call of the eldership he desireth a good work a good work it's the work of a stewardship in the history of the church sadly there are men who have wanted to be elders for the sake of the status. It's a position of respect in a community. And they have the sinful desire to be an elder in a church for the status sake. That's sinful. And often such men, the only eldering, if that's a word, The only thing that they actually ever do is just turn up for church meetings. That's it. Now that's an important work, I'm not denying that, but that's not the work of an elder. There's no laboring, there's no visiting, there's no counseling, there's no teaching, there's no instructing. They're not going about the houses. They simply turn up for the church meetings like some sort of business CEO, make the decisions and do nothing else. We don't want that kind of man. We don't want that kind of man. That's someone who wants the plaudits and the respect. He wants to make authoritative decisions, but doesn't want to serve and labour and work. And so, as you think of ruling elders and you think of a man, don't think. Does he have knowledge to make decisions, though that's absolutely included? Ask, is he a man who serves? Is he a man who works? Is he a man who is laboring in the church? Where's the evidence? Where's the example? And he's laboring in a particular way. Acts 2028. 20, Speaking of the overseer, the same word for bishop. And in Acts 2028 20, it says Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock of the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to flee the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So it's the bride of Jesus Christ, whom he has purchased with his own blood. He cares for the church. He wants the good of the church. And so the elder must be accountable consciously to this. The Spirit hath made him an overseer. The Spirit not only gives him the gifts and the calling, but the heart. What is the heart of a good shepherd towards sheep? Love. A genuine love for people, not a love for authority, not a love for status and position, love for the people and their good. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That's the heart of an elder. A woman in her pain and longevity, uh, travailing. For what purpose? For the birth of a child. A ruling elder with the Spirit of God in his heart, with an immense, fervent, zealous love, will, like a woman in travail, a woman in pregnancy, will do all things painfully, laboriously. Working hard for the spiritual good of Christ's people. Not that they're merely orderly or do what they're told. But this is their purpose. They work so that Christ is formed in them. They love Christ more. They adore him more. They understand more and more of his person and work and benefits. There are people... Who willingly deny themselves and take up the cross and follow Him. There are people who love to serve Him in whatever gifts and callings they have in their life. The elder labors and works hard and sacrifices time and energy and resources so that the people of God are more Christ like. That's the work. Of the elder. Now, let's look at the particular kind of work they are to do. With this, first of all, they are to rule. First Timothy five seventeen, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, they are to rule and govern and administer. That means with other elders, they need to organize the church, organize worship services. What day? What time? They are to disciple the people. How will this people grow in Jesus Christ? What are the biblical, lawful means and methods so that this people grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? They will not make decisions what suits themselves. They make decisions what's best for the flock as a whole. Sometimes there'll be different views in the church for certain meetings. And the rulers will bring that to the session meeting and say, these are the different views of the people here. But we must make a decision. And as they say, you can't please all the people all the time. We have to make a decision that's best for the whole and not myself or even everyone, but the whole. And make decisions based upon the whole. And then the elders work will be watching the souls of the people. Hebrews chapter 13. They that rule, watch for your souls. Watch for your souls. The elders are not a people that you never see. They're just out there somewhere. They're in the midst of the people. How can a shepherd watch over his sheep unless he's watching in the midst of them? He's in their lives. Not in an authoritative way, but I mean fellowshipping with you. There's a reason why one of the qualifications is hospitality. One, simply because you love to host people, but in a practical way, when you fellowship with someone in your own home and get to know them more, you can watch over their souls, their concerns, their struggles. Because if you don't know someone, you're not going to open yourself up to them, are you? But if you're in someone's life, You're more ready to open up to them. And therefore the elder will start to see people who are discouraged. Or straggling. Or starting to backslide. Who have struggles in their lives. And they have a watch over this to care for them. Which means they will instruct them. Verse 7. sorry verse 9 holding fast the faithful word which he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers an elder might not be doing public pulpit teaching but he will most certainly be doing teaching one on ones counselling meeting up for coffee In fellowship. So an elder must know his doctrine, and we'll get to that when we go to verse 9, and be able to pastorally apply the word to the people so that they become more Christ-like. The elder's going to have to be bold here because sometimes the person might be wrong about a doctrine or a moral and cannot be bold without love, and neither cannot have love without boldness, but both in proportion lovingly speak the truth. Which means they may be discipline. The single hardest thing in the work of an elder. First Thessalonians chapter five verse two they that labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So those who are over you will admonish you. That is, when a Christian falls into serious sin, be it doctrinal or moral, the elder comes alongside. That might be a simple instruction, let's meet up, let's study this doctrine and the course is averted. It could just be little areas of the life where someone is weak and it's not like a grievous or public sin, it's just those characteristic sins. So an elder comes alongside, let me help you with your insert. or it may be it's very serious and there must be admonishment or rebuke from the session and in the final case which we do not want to ever do ever, excommunication we sincerely want to pray we never have a single excommunication ever in this church But we don't want to be in the situation where there's genuine sin and there is no repentance, there has been repeated sincere efforts to reclaim, and there's continual hardened refusal. Then the biblical exhortation is excommunicate. And sadly, there are churches in this land, conservative reformed churches. Who will not do that work but simply write them off the rules of membership. And they do damage to that individual. Because that individual will go on hardened with their sin. And this work of the elders will be judged by Christ on judgment day. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, as they must give an account. They must give an account. So, in Judgment Day, it will not be merely the individual as a private person, though they will be. But Christ will say, I called you to be an overseer of my flock. Did you care for them or abuse them? Did you flaunt authority or did you administer biblical loving authority? Did you fail to do what I called you to do? Did you do what I called you to do? Were you lazy or were you hardworking? And every elder shudders at that. Because every elder, whether it's ruling elder or minister, we all see our lack, we all see our weaknesses, we all see our inconsistencies. We praise God that Christ forgives sin and he's gracious and merciful, but we also lament because for Christ's sake and the good of the church, we sincerely desire to do better. And so when a minister works or doesn't work or hesitates to work or not to do their duty they can think I'm going to be judged on judgement day. David Dixon was a famous elder in Edinburgh in the 19th century and he was known as a man who laboured for the Lord. His real passion was always the care of souls and in this he excelled. Throughout his tenure as elder, Dixon maintained regular contact with his parishioners, visiting church members in their homes every Sunday evening, offering words of comfort, a few verses of scripture, a prayer for God's help. Dixon was known throughout Edinburgh as a devoted friend and caring Christian gentleman. His selflessness, gentleness and thoughtfulness and responsiveness to needs in his community marked him out as a churchman. By the grace of God, we want all elders to be something of this. And you can see why there is to be ruling elders in the church. All that work, no one man or two men can do it. If you don't have ruling elders... A minister can do all he can to pray for the people, prepare sermons, counsel and meet with people. But he's only one man. There's always going to be people neglected because there's only so much time and so much energy. But when you have ruling elders, plural, it is the minister and the elders doing the work, sharing the Lord. Again, the beauty of Christ in the church. The thirdly, lastly, the calling of elders. It says here, Titus ordain elders in every city. And some have abused this text to mean that a single individual has the right to choose men to be elders in the church. You have this in prelacy, that is church governed by bishops, where it's Roman Catholicism. Lutheranism, Methodism, or Episcopalianism. They believe one man has the right to go to any church and choose who would govern them. And there's another problem. In church history, both in the continent of Europe and in Britain, it was determined by law that the landowner was the one who chose who would be the minister or elder in a church and the reason why we're called the free church is because from 1714 to 1843 the state decreed it was the landowner who decided who would be the minister or the elder and men appealed and appealed and appealed for over a century And then from 1834 to 43, it came to an end. We must follow Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And then on 1843, men left the Church of Scotland, or rather more accurately, the Church of Scotland left them by maintaining and submitting to patronage. And the men such as Chalmers and Hugh Martin and Cunningham left the false ideas of patronage to recover and maintain and restore the biblical warrant for who decides elders. Acts fourteen twenty three. Sorry, first of all, Acts chapter 6, verse 3. This is speaking of the diaconate, but the same word for ordain is used. Brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint, ordain over the business. So the apostles representing elders will do the function of ordaining, but who determines who will be ordained? The people, you people, you choose from among yourselves men who will serve as a deacon. And we will lay on the hands and set them apart. And this is exactly what happens in the eldership. Acts 14.23. Where it says, In Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, when they had ordained them elders in every church... Now, this is a different word, ordain. The Greek word means to choose by the raising of the hand. To choose by the raising of the hand. The people elected whom they wanted to be their elders by the raising of the hand. And whoever was chosen was to be the man. Or men who would rule and govern over the people. And we wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe in this. Elders may nominate men who they believe are qualified. But whom they nominate must be received by the members in an election. And individuals in certain elections may nominate men, but it must not be the nomination of one or two, but the majority of the congregation. And once they are elected by the people, then they're, of course, tested. Can they subscribe to the formula? Do they believe wholeheartedly in the Westminster Confession of Faith? Do they believe in our distinctives? And if they don't, then of course they would not be ordained. But if they do, then they would be ordained in a public worship service with a sermon and a prayer setting them apart for ordination. And once a man is ordained, he is ordained, he's set apart by Jesus Christ himself for that office, which means it's for life. It's for life. In the Bible, there's no term office of eldership because they're ordained. Now, a man can resign, a man can retire, a man can move away to another place, or another man can be disciplined and removed. Or even have a sabbatical for health reasons or whatever. But because they are set apart by Christ and lawfully, publicly ordained, it means they're set apart for life to rule and govern in the church. So here we have the biblical eldership. Their ministerial and distinct authority. Their hard spiritual work for Christ's glory in our spiritual good and they are to be called and ordained from the people of god and not enforced upon you this is why in presbyterianism there should not be unelected associate or assistant pastors there's been this growing case in Presbyterianism to have men serve and they've never been elected. We should absolutely weep for such a position. But the elders are from the people and by the people. And next time, we'll look at the qualifications of the elder. Let us pray. Lord our God, we are thankful for the clear biblical instruction which Christ gives us in the New Testament regarding the eldership. Father, we are thankful that we can study the Bible carefully and deeply and come to true conclusions about this calling. We pray, O Lord, that everyone, we would all have biblical views of government. We would all know the authority of the elder, the work of the elder and the call of the elder. And Lord, in time, that thou wouldst move us as a flock to elect ruling elders to shepherd us, love us, care for us, protect us and discipline us. O Lord, raise up men to feed the flock of God in Westminster Presbyterian Church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.